What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Championship Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Nate Bailey, and uh, we're excited today. Today's a guest that uh, was referred to me from a good friend of mine, and uh, we had a great conversation. He's got an incredible story uh, out of Santa Barbara, California. Uh, went to prison for a crime that he did not commit, and incredible testimony and, and, and story from our guest today, Sean Crane. And how he was able to take that experience uh, to go to prison for something he didn't do and uh, to turn his life around and, and to lead a life now today that inspires and impacts others as a coach as well. So um, before we get into that and before I introduce you uh, for more information on everything that I'm up to inside of our championship leadership 24 hour experience, as well as my Unleash the Leader within three day experience. Um, and all the other episodes that we have on this podcast, you can go to my website, natebailey.org and go uh, catch up on everything that I'm up to. You can contact me there as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce you once again to Sean Crane. You can find him on social media at Sean Michael Crane and just about any uh, social media platform that you would go to. And with that, with that, let's, let's get to it. Let's get to Sean Crane. Hey, what's up, everybody? Championship Leadership Podcast today, and uh, we got Shane, excuse me, Sean Crane, Sean Crane with uh, with us here today from Santa Barbara, California. Uh, Sean was introduced to me through uh, a mutual friend of ours, Bob Van Gilder. Shout out to Bob. What's up, man? And uh, thank you for being here today, Sean. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we definitely want to get into you and your story and what you got going on and what, you, what you've been up to. Uh, you definitely have an incredible story. But first things first, I always like to ask this question first. Championship Leadership is the name of the podcast. So, you know, what comes to mind for you or what does championship leadership mean to you when you hear that? Yeah, no, I love that question. I mean, I think in any position of leadership, it's really important that whoever it is that right, is the leader, whether it's in business, uh, home life. Uh, in your family, um, if you're working with clients and your coaches, embodying the person that 
that you are proclaiming, right? That you are. So um, showing whoever it is that you're leading and guiding through your actions daily, uh, consistently, what it takes to be at the higher level. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And uh, I love, you know, I don't know exactly how many episodes we are at yet, but we're we're close to 250. and, And it's always been interesting to hear all the different ways that people slice championship leadership and what it means to them. So, um, yeah, I can't agree more with that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your backstory and uh, kind of how that's taken you to where you are today and what you're up to today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I got a pretty <laughs> unique story and, and life experience thus far. I mean, I'm only 32, but growing up here in Santa Barbara, it's beautiful. Uh, loving sports, you know, being at the beach, surfing, and just, you know, when you talk about like leadership and, and stuff like that, um, always being in a competitive atmosphere. I love that. I thrived in it as a kid. But, you know, at the age of 14, uh, a lot of stuff happened in my home life. My dad went to prison. My mom and my dad were both drug and alcohol um, addicts. And, you know, their addictions got the best of them, so to speak. So I went down a really negative path. I stopped playing sports. I stopped being the person in my heart I felt like I truly was. I wasn't competing. I didn't want to be seen, man. You know, I was ashamed and I was broken inside. So this led me down, you know, a really negative path in my adolescence. And it wound me uh, in prison at the age of 23. So I went to prison at 23 for a crime I didn't commit, right? Which is, you know, very um, intense. It was, the experience was surreal. It was like being in a nightmare that you don't wake up from, knowing that you're going to prison for something you didn't even do. And at first they were going to give me, you know, decades in prison. And um, I ended up serving five and a half years. But what happened was that was the best experience of my life by far because I was up against this massive challenge and I had to dig deep within and really rediscover and connect with who I truly am. You know, and I feel like I was able to tap back into that, that energy, that, that passion from childhood that had been lost, you know, that had been numbed out by my own alcohol and drug abuse over the years. So in prison, um, my entire life transformed, you know, I stopped, I stopped making excuses about who I wanted to be. I stopped talking about things, but not falling through with action. Like everything was just turned upside down. And so I went through that experience. I was able to educate myself, get college degrees. I was able to work with inmates in prison, in the drug and alcohol programs. Now, now I have eight years of sobriety, you know, and in there is when I discovered how um, I could impact others. I found my calling, so to speak, my passion. And that was working with, with others, young men who feel lost, who just, know that there's more for them, but they're not living up to that potential. And so coming home, I've been able to, to do that, to reach people, to you know, start my own coaching program and to connect with those, those men, those individuals who need guidance. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, I got a lot of questions. So what's, uh, you said you, you went to prison for something that you didn't do. What happened there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like something straight out of a movie, man. I was... I was at a party. I was at a party, just a house party in a nice part of Santa Barbara. Tons of people there. I didn't really know anyone. I went there with one friend and we met a couple people that we had known from like mutual acquaintances there. We didn't, we weren't friends with them. We didn't really talk much. Um, but at that party, there was no one else we knew. So we were hanging out. Well, those guys got into an altercation with some other guys at the party, right? So we're all kind of talking, seeing what's going on. Um, it dies down. But then it picks back up again later as we're leaving. I'm leaving. I'm getting ready to go somewhere else and just be, you know, gone from there. And these, these guys follow us all out. So 
a fight breaks out on the front lawn, you know, and this happens a lot, Nate. I don't know if, I mean, growing yeah, up, or, part of that. right? Yeah. yeah, all the time. So for me, it wasn't anything uh, uncommon. Usually at the end of the night, there's a couple of drunk guys or people who have passed altercations and they end up wrestling around fighting a little bit. It's not like a really big deal. I mean, obviously it's not something you want to be doing, but I didn't think anything of it. So the fight breaks out and I, I get involved. I get tackled. I get, uh, I thought I was getting jumped by those, those other groups of guys, the, um, the guys that really started the altercation. I didn't know what was going on. So I ended up bear hugging this guy and getting tackled to the ground. And I think, okay, him and his friends for some reason zeroed in on me and they're going to start kicking me. You know, I'm going to get jumped, but nothing happened. And I just got this person on me and I'm trying to get them off and I couldn't. So finally I'm laying on my back like this and I roll over and uh, I hit the guy twice. I punched him kind of glancing hit um, punches as I'm getting up. Cause I, th I think, okay, he's going to start swinging on me. He's going to try to take me out. Um, but he didn't get up. He didn't get up after that. And I was pretty surprised. I didn't hit him really hard. Um, and I started walking towards the street where my friend who I went to the party with, the only person I really knew, he's yelling at me, Sean, let's go, let's go. And it's pandemonium. There's people running everywhere. It's pretty chaotic. And I get to the street under the, the lamp, the street light, and I'm covered in blood, man. I mean, just like drenched in blood. And it was so surreal. I couldn't believe what was happening. I mean, I just see blood dripping off of me. And uh, I was pretty scared and shocked. I didn't know what happened. So we end up leaving. You know, he's running up the street telling me, let's go. We get around the corner and we go into a laundromat. He's like waving me and he throws me a shirt that he just pulled out of the dryer. And he's like, put this on, man. You're covered in blood. You can't walk around like that. So I do. We end up just leaving and going back to his place, trying to make sense of what happened uh, as the cops are rushing to the scene. You know, we're like just walking down the street and everyone's fleeing. Um, and so what happened, Nate, was when that fight broke out, people were getting assaulted with a knife. There was two guys stabbing that other group of people. I didn't know this. I didn't see it. It was happening so fast. But that guy that gets tackled into me, they were attacking him. You know, I couldn't see all this. So I end up with blood on me. People at the party said they saw me wrestling with this guy because they saw that end situation where me getting up, throwing punches at him. So now I'm the number one suspect. The cops don't really see these other guys, their part in the situation. They're looking for me. And I thought maybe they were just going to detain me and try to get information out of me, kind of build their case. I had no idea that they were looking at me as the main suspect. So they arrested me the next day and they charged me with attempted murder. And my whole world was just completely turned upside down at that moment. So attempted murder. So he did the guy live? Yeah, but I mean, barely, man. It was so bad. Yeah. The wow. first day I went to court, you know, I was just in shock, like disbelief. Yeah. And I remember the photographers are there for the news press. Um, it's a big deal, you know. And my lawyer comes up to me. And the first thing that she says is, uh, Sean, they're talking about amending your charges today to homicide. The victim's brain dead. You know, he was in a coma. And that's how close he came to passing. Wow. And, you know, by the grace of God, he survived, man. He made a full recovery. And it's, it's a miracle. He was that close. To yeah. Are you, uh, are you a man of faith? Yes, sir. Okay. For how long? Well, so when I went to, went in jail, I had some, I mean, very surreal experiences growing up. You know, my family had a little background in, uh, with, with faith, but nothing to the point where we go to church and nothing that we would talk about often. So really my own beliefs and through that experience, realizing there's so much more than just these moments and, and what I had perceived up to that point, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So was it through this experience that you came uh, to God or was it? Um... Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me, this is what changed my life, you know? Yeah. Um, so early on, I'm in the County jail, not knowing what's going to happen to me. You know, um, I was coming off all the, the drugs and alcohol. Uh, I was just going through it. You know, my body was just really hurting. Um, internally, I was just so afflicted. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. I'm waking up yeah. in this jail going, this is my life right now. I'm about yeah. to go away for decades. And like, they don't know what happened. How is this happening to me? So really early on, I started feeling different. The drugs, alcohol wear it off. And I started to feel somewhat alive and these emotions inside of me that have been suppressed for so long. And as I'm trying to process everything that's happening, um, I became very connected to like something good inside of me that was taking place. It was a, a sense of love and gratitude and peace I'd never known before. And my cellmate at the time, he was an old friend, actually. And uh, he was reading the what? Yeah, it, it was bizarre, right? We ended up becoming really? cellmates. Wow. And uh, he was reading the Bible every morning. And for him to be reading the Bible, I was um, pretty taken back because when we were kids, he was kind of a knucklehead. And, you know, I didn't expect that from him. So it had me intrigued. And uh, we would read it a little bit here and there uh, in, the, in the mornings. Um, and then, you know, I was just kind of processing everything. Like, okay, I remember months before that, someone had said the word God. I was out somewhere and I looked at them. I said, there's no God. Like, this is how just disconnected I was, right? Yeah. I said, there's no God. And that's what I felt in my heart. But um, here I'm in the county jail facing all this time. And I'll never forget one night I'm sitting there by myself and late at night, the lights would be dimmed. And I remember my mind would just race and I would have these visions. And it was, I was going through this really um, like this metamorphosis, this internal transformation of uh, realizing I ne neglected my whole life and I had wasted it away. And now I don't know what the future holds for me. And there was something taking place within me. And I just never, I'll never forget the words came out of my mouth before I could even think about it. I said, there is a God, isn't there? And it wasn't a question. It was a statement, man. And yeah. I had this radiant energy just flood my body in that moment. And uh, my life changed entirely from that moment on. I mean, I went through my whole prison experience, never feeling alone, never feeling lost or hopeless. It was tough. And there was days where I was feeling the effects of my situation, but I never, I never felt alone ever again from that moment on. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. So yeah, you go to prison for something that you didn't do. And I can't imagine the thoughts and the emotions that you did that would be going through my head, especially as a 23 year old, <laughs> like just crazy. I think back to when I was 23 and I did not have it figured out. That's for sure. And I wasn't even close to it. So what's that like? And how are you able to, you know, championship leadership's the name of the podcast, of course. So obviously you, you, uh, you had to take some leadership of yourself first. I always talk about how you have to lead yourself first before you go and lead somebody else. And, and I, I believe that's 100% uh, true. So what was that journey? Because I can't imagine it was overnight or maybe, it, you know, maybe it was. But, you know, what was coming into prison, the shock of that, figuring it out, coming into some some form of a routine, I would imagine. And and then the journey from there uh, to where you are today, just what was that process like for you um, to get where it is that you are today. Cause I know I just have a friend that just came out of prison for right around two years. He, he talked to me a bit about his experience. It's Zach Babcock. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, I definitely need to connect you. He's been uh, to prison, I believe for around five years as well. And, and some of the experiences he had and one was solitary confinement for like, I know it was 30 days. It might've been 60 days. I can't remember exactly, but he just talked about how he had to, 
take charge of him himself and really own where he was at in his space and, and how he did that in the process he went through to do that. So maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about how you kind of took lead of yourself and maybe some others that, that helped along that way through that journey in the prison system as well to help lead you, guide you to where you are today. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, solitary confinement could be the best thing you ever experienced in your life. For me, it was. So that's what happened. I got put in a cell for a time by myself. For the first time in my life, I had no distractions. All my codependent relationships growing up, nobody was there, right? It was just me and the truth. And I started to see it. And for the first time in my life, I was honest with myself. You know, there was no cell phone, right? There was no laptop. There was no job to go to, no children to raise. It was just me and my thoughts and, and the truth started to emerge. And I started to see my part in everything leading up to that moment. Yeah, I wasn't guilty for the attempted murder they charged me with, but I felt immensely guilty for wasting my life away, you know, for allowing the things from my past to afflict me so greatly that I turned away from my dreams. I created this, this persona of an individual I wasn't, who I, I truly wasn't, you know, I was living a lie. And so I felt almost like a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like, wow, I can, I can start over. I can actually like make a shift now that'll change my life forever. And I realized that early on. So what I started to do was just acknowledge all of my wrongs, all of my you know, faults, everything that I did to lead me to that moment. And the biggest piece early on was forgiving my parents for all that they put us through, my siblings and I, because I had so much resentment, so much emotional trauma that I had suppressed. And that's why I went out and drank or took pills or, or numbed myself because I wasn't ready to face it as a young man. So I couldn't ever become a leader or I couldn't ever, you know, truly turn my dreams into reality and pursue what I wanted in life if I couldn't master myself first. So that was the first step is understanding I was wounded, going through that healing process. Um, and then from there, now I had, you know, almost like a new clean slate. I could build a new foundation of the life I truly wanted. And that's what I started to do. Once that healing process took place, I, I mean, it felt like a massive weight was lifted off my shoulders. I realized I didn't have to carry around this pain any longer. Uh, I didn't have to numb it. I could just be myself and feel and, and experience life as it came. So I started to really envision, well, what do I want? What is you know, my life going to look like after prison? What are the goals and the visions that I want to bring to life that would just bring me immense joy? So every night, you know, with time on my hands, nothing but time, I would envision these things. I mean, to the detail, right? Everything that I wanted. And I was connecting with it on an emotional level because that experience was so profound that it evoked such a strong passion inside of me. Um, so every day, envisioning what I wanted, uh, reflecting, you know, being honest with myself, and then following through with any little action that I could to start proving to myself who I was and what I was willing to do to get there. And I mean, Nate, I took so much pride in cleaning myself floor. I took so much pride in all the push-ups I did. I took so much pride in my, my letters that I wrote and the books that I read. And I would, I would keep like a list of vocabulary words and quiz myself. And I, you know, that was just the beginning for me. It was what are you willing to do day to day to become that man that you want to see in the mirror? Right. And yeah. I had to embody that person 100%. It couldn't be a little bit. It had to be all or nothing. Right. Because I saw what my inferior actions and lifestyle had led to it was me in a cell by myself, alone, broken. So I, I couldn't do that ever again. I couldn't even entertain that individual, let alone follow through with action. So a couple of things happened. 
I made a deep and internal commitment to myself. I would never touch drugs or alcohol ever again. That was eight years ago. I have eight years of sobriety. Yes. Number two was that I would just give my all every day to everything that I did. I mean, everything, you know, um, 100%. And I think you hear people say that out here. But I mean, I took it to another level. And, and I get this question a lot, like, Sean, how could you do that in prison? What could you do, right? It's not always about the action as much as it is your intention and the way you do it. So for me, cleaning the floor and doing push-ups and, and looking up words in the dictionary was just as important as coming out here and coaching people and doing an Ironman and writing a book. Like those things sound really cool and, and big and awesome accomplishments. Cleaning the floor and looking up words in the dictionary and doing push-ups until my arms fell off. <laughs> that energy and mentality I channeled into those endeavors is what helped me to create what I have now. It was that process. So that's what I consider self-mastery. And like then I had five and a half years to continue to replicate it to the point where I transformed before my very eyes. Like I went from an individual who was just broken and lost to someone with so much conviction and dedication to the way I live my life every day from the moment I opened my eyes. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say how you took pride to, you know, even in like cleaning the floor of your cell, right? Because that was one of the things that Zach had mentioned where he just like, he took extreme pride and ownership of his cell and like he would take his, the rags they would give him and he'd tear them into pieces and he would just like, he, every inch of that cell he cleaned and, and just took extreme pride in it as well. So probably not a surprise there in, in, in why that would happen or why you would do that. Um, I, I have to imagine there are many people that you came across that, that, that chose a different path, right? That were just couldn't get out of their own way, that couldn't see or own the responsibility that they had for there. And uh, unfortunately, there's probably a lot more that, that uh, are in that, that position, right? Where they have a hard time owning that and, and, uh, and, and getting out of that place inside of their head. But what was the, the moment for you where you're like, you kind of found some purpose. You, you started helping others. You wanted to make an impact for others. You, you mentioned drug and alcohol and, and helping uh, people through that while you were inside, uh, inside prison. When did that come from or where did that come from? And, and uh, obviously that's what you continue to want and choose to do today as well as to make an impact on others. So do you remember, was there a moment for you that, that was like, man, this is what I want to do or how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So for the first three years, I was so immersed on my own growth and my own, you know, development. I just really blocked everything out. I had like these blinders on because there's so much negativity in there. There's so much chaos all the time. And I just knew that if I had, if I wanted to have a chance to be successful and live a good life, I had a lot of work to do on myself. I mean, I had to do this stuff repetitively for years until it became ingrained into me and who I was. So I did that. I really just put my blinders on. I didn't interact with too many people more than I had to. And I was just focused on, you know, my health and fitness, my education. I was getting college degrees, um, everything that I could do to better myself every day. So about three years in, you know, I started getting enrolled in these drug and alcohol programs and guys would just naturally gravitate towards me. They'd see the way I worked out and I was in good shape and they wanted to work out with me. That's usually how it would start. Or um, we would have a conversation in the day room, or maybe I'd say something in the drug and alcohol program. And they're like, wow, this guy's on a different you know, mindset than most of the people in here. So certain people would gravitate towards me and we would just start from there. We'd start working out and building them up through our daily exercise routine, through those conversations and starting to ask the questions like, well, who are you? What do you want besides this lifestyle, man? You know? 
And it just, it just took off from there to the point where then I had a pretty big group of guys I would be mentoring at any given time. And I think they just saw my consistency in the way I was living. And it was a lot of people in there, they would like work out and they would do stuff, but it wasn't as consistent and they weren't, you know, educating themselves, working out in the drug program, like across the board, I was doing everything I could every day to better myself. So it just kind of happened organically, which was pretty cool. And I was able to mentor people in there. And I'll never forget like these guys coming to me who were broken, man, who were just really down on themselves and, and somewhat hopeless. You don't see it on the outside because these guys are tough. They're big. They got tattoos, but you, you feel it. And when you get into a tough workout or you get into that conversation with them on the yard after the fact, things start to come out, you know, they start to open up to you. And uh, then seeing them change, seeing them maybe lose some weight or get in shape and start to feel confident with their, the way they look. And now that seed's planted. Oh man, if I work hard at something, I could do it. You know, and you see that, that mentality start to shift. Some of those guys went on to take college courses with me, or some of them, you know, started talking in the program about how they wanted to be sober and live a better life. And this is stuff that people don't do in there. No one opens up and shares about that, right? You don't want to be vulnerable or it's a, you got to put on that mask. So in that moment, I realized, wow, if I could impact these guys in here who have such a a tunnel vision, narrow way of thinking and living and get them to, to see the possibilities and potential for their life. I know that my experience and this story and my message can impact people's lives out there who are living carelessly like I once did. And that's when I knew definitively that was my purpose, man, and what I wanted to do when yeah. I came home. Yeah, very cool, man. What's, um, who are some people that have impacted your life, championship leaders, coaches, mentors, uh, and, and what is it about them? Like, what are some of the characteristics that really have stood out to you that maybe even, you know, you take and model as, as a leader in yourself? Yeah, I mean, the, the main person I think of when you bring that up is my Uncle Mike. Um, he was always there for me my whole life. He lived with us when my parents left and I went through all that stuff at a young age. He was always there. He lived with us and he tried his hardest to get through to me, you know, but I was just so lost and far gone. But the characteristics, the, the things that he instilled into me early on in life, they came back. You know, when I yeah. when I reconnected with myself, they came back. And so when I think of him, I think of uh, he always believed in me. He always believed in me no matter what. And he would make sure that I felt that and that he articulated it because, you know, one of the strongest things that we can come across in life is belief in self. And when you have somebody else instilling that into you from a young age, it's invaluable, right? So I do that with my children and anybody that I work with. I always make sure early on that they feel that, that I believe in them, that I see that greatest potential of who they can be because we all need that support, that, that push, right? Um, so that was the, he, he's my rock. He's the person I always go back to. He's the person who was there on the phone and through letters, you know, when I was incarcerated. Um, Uncle Mark is another um, person that I look up to. Very successful, grew up in a tough home with really like not a lot of hope. And he got himself out of that environment. You know, he's a business owner, a family man. He's living the dream life now and he's self-made and he did it through grit and determination. Um, and overcoming his demons as well. So I, I really connect and relate to him. Um, since coming home from prison, I've had a couple coaches, business coaches, lead uh, mentors. Will Nelson is one of them who really opened my eyes to like the potential of coaching and how I can share my story with people and, and really taught me, okay, like how do you take a story or a message and turn it into something that can help other people basically? 
whether it's through marketing, connecting, or actual coaching program. So, I mean, I was just working in a gym as a personal trainer with a lot of big dreams, a lot of motivation and work ethic, but I didn't know what that next step was. How can I reach, you know, as many people as I want to reach? How can I create that platform that's going to serve people? And he helped me do that. So since coming home, he's been a really impactful person in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's so important to have those people in your life. Um, are they, are your uncles uh, still a part of your life? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk to them almost daily. Uh, it's been one of the, the biggest reasons. Well, not one of the biggest reasons, but one of the most gratifying things that I was able to do was come home and show my uncle Mike that kid that he remembered. Right. Um, yeah. Cause he would always tell me like, this isn't who you are, Sean. And I actually saw him last week and you know, his health is deteriorating a little bit. He's getting older and he's, it's hard to see him like that. But he looked at me and he said, this is who you are. And it was just one of those moments where, it, you know, it meant everything to me because yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to disappoint him. I wanted him to know that him dedicating his life to take care of me, like it was for a specific reason. Now the ripple effect that's spreading to help other people, it's, you know, immeasurable. So, yeah. um, yeah, absolutely. I talk to them daily. Yeah, great. What about your parents? Are they in the picture, out of the picture? So, no, they're not. My mother passed away when I was in prison. Okay. Um, she cleaned up a little bit, man, and kind of, you know, did, did better for herself towards the end of her life. But she passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm while I was incarcerated. And then I lost my father two months ago, you know, which was oh. a shock. Yeah. Um, when I came home, I had to distance myself from certain people that I had codependent relationships with in the past that didn't serve me anymore. So we had a different relationship, but then him getting to meet my children and becoming a grandfather. And we found this new kind of relationship, um, a a new way of living. And uh, I'm just so grateful he got to to meet my daughter, Scarlett and my son, Mason. But yeah, I mean, that just shows I lost a lot of people when I was away as well. Nate. And it's like, that's where that lifestyle leads you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. What, uh, since you, since you've been out and since you've, um, continued to, you know, push yourself and help others and impact others and, and, uh, in the capacity as a coach, Ironman, writing books, things like that. What, what is, what's a challenge that you faced outside of uh, prison in the last four years that, um, you know, cause I always ask this question in a way of like, we all have critical moments, defining moments, kind of a fork in the road where. Had you made a different decision than you did, you'd be in an extremely different place in life. And I'm sure we've talked about a few of them already. But what 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 is maybe a moment like that since you've uh, been out of prison in the past four years or so that had you made a different decision, you could be somewhere completely different in your life? Wow. Wow. Um, I don't think anything as severe as my time in prison. I mean, that completely changed the trajectory of my life. But just becoming a father, getting married, that's everything to me, right? Um, And then obviously the challenges of being an entrepreneur and a family man. That's the biggest challenge I face day to day right now. Uh, Had I not, you know, reconnected with my wife and got married and had children, you know, I might be very successful right now, but my life wouldn't be nearly as half as fulfilling because I get to spend time with my children and and I'm a family man. That's what I want to do every day. So finding the balance between running a business, doing all these things I'm doing, and then my family, that's the biggest challenge I face right now. And I think that's actually a a blessing in disguise because then I can help my guys, my clients who are going through the same things. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the 
the biggest challenges men in general face right now is how do we provide for the family or, or be there for our spouse and our children as that leader, right? Um, but also yep. take care of ourselves so right. that we're not, you know, feeling depleted, so that we're not overwhelmed by stress or we stop taking care of our health and that's now an issue. Those are the dilemmas that I'm seeing a lot of people face right now. Yeah. So you said reconnecting with your wife. So when did you get married and what happened? Yeah, we got married. Uh, what was it? 2019. So um, we knew each other before I was incarcerated. We actually grew up in the same town, um, went to school together. We weren't really friends growing up. We knew of each other. She's a little younger than me. Um, but then we did connect right before I actually got incarcerated. You know, just we were young and, and kind of wild and uh, we yeah. were 20, she was 21, I was 23, but man, I fell in love with her back then. You know, there was just something about her that I was drawn to. And um, I had to go away for a little while and get myself right. But when I came home, she was right on the same you know, page as me as far as wanting a family, just really wanting to have that, that home life and that love. And we connected, man. I saw her, I think, out at breakfast one day. She was with her dad. Um, and we didn't really talk. So I messaged her. I said, Hey, like, what's going on? You, you know, you're, you're playing hard to get, you're ignoring me. And then we went out for lunch and then we just kept seeing each other. So yeah, we had, we had two kids now. She has Mason who's 10. He's, you know, not my biological son, but he's my son, like hundred yeah. percent, you know? Yeah. Um, and I remember him when he was a baby. Uh, yeah. and now yeah. we have Scarlett who's a year and a half and Preston who's three and a half months. So we have this amazing family, you know? Um, and it's just, that's my world right there. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Thank you. I mean, she supports me in everything, Nate. So like yeah. when I did the Ironman, she's the one that pushed me like, just do it. You know, with it, with writing my book, she knew it was a dream of mine. And when COVID happened and the quarantine shut everything down, she's like, why don't you do it now? Like she's always believing in me. And without her, you know, you mentioned a second ago, like, where would your life be if, if something hadn't happened in the last four years? And without a shadow of a doubt, it's meeting her. She makes yeah. me better in every way possible. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. What's, um, as we start to wrap this up, like if there were one or two things you could give to the listeners that if they implemented today, it would help move their life forward today. What would that be? Yeah, no, I love that question. I mean, people always want simple, quick hacks, right? Things that they can right. start doing to change their life. But you know, I, I always tell people it goes deeper than that, man. And the, the most effective way to change your life or to make the improvements you want is to pay attention to what you want, first of all. So we get so busy and caught up or bogged down by stress that we become disconnected to that intuition, right? Those things from our heart that we truly want. And we start listening to the fear and doubt or we take shortcuts in life. And what does that lead to? What does that lead to ultimately in the long run? So I tell people this all the time, put yourself in a place every day where you can reflect for a little bit of time and pay attention. Like, are you living the life that you want? Are you doing the things daily that you want to do? or is your or, or is your thought process filled with should have, I wish I would have, I need to, right? That intuition inside of us, that will always lead you to a better life, the life that you want. And Nate, this is what I started doing early on in my time in prison, is I started becoming aware of that, that intuition. Like, Sean, you need to do this. Sean, you need to look at those words in the dictionary. Right then and there, people are like, why do you care to do that? Well, then it improved my writing and it improved my confidence in my intellect. I went on to get four college degrees and actually come home and write a book. Like I never thought I would have done that. If I would have listened to the fear and doubt, oh, you don't need to do that. You have five and a half years. What does it matter? Why are you looking up words in the dictionary when you're reading? dude? Like, So it's those little decisions that we make that have a massive impact 
on the outcomes that we're going to have later on in life. And for me, what I've realized is we all have this moral compass, right? We all have these answers built in within us, but a lot of times we're not listening to them and we're not following through with action. So there's so many people out there right now that if they're listening to this, they could probably write down or say five things they want to be doing that they're not doing more probably. Yeah. Right? Sure. We have to know that when we listen to the fear and doubt and we procrastinate, that's always going to lead to a life of regret. But when we listen to the intuition and follow our heart, you're able to do things and experience things you never would have imagined. And what really helped me to like change my life was sitting in that cell with massive amounts of regret for the way I'd lived my life because I listened to fear and doubt and I, I was not following through with the person I wanted to be. And it kills you inside to live like that. Yeah. Appreciate that. And uh, so true. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, I would, you know, write that list down, right? You just, uh, whenever you have a prompting to go and do something, like you said, listen to that intuition and, and do that. There's a lot of things in your life that you wish you were doing or you need to do or whatever, you know, write those things down and, and start to make those uh, a reality for yourself. So what's, um, what are a few ways that we can find out more about you and your book and, and, and your coaching and everything else that you got going on? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my Instagram and Facebook are both the same. Shawn Michael Crane. My website, shawnmichaelcrane.com as well. My book, Prison of Your Own, uh, is released on ebook, paperback, and hardcover. You can find it on Amazon. So if anyone's going through a tough time, especially with COVID and all this adversity we've been facing, I feel like it's a timely message because it talks about how I went through five and a half years of prison, but instead of looking at that situation that's happening to me and all the negatives, I was able to shift my mentality and my mindset to it happening for me. And it's given me an opportunity to do all these things I otherwise wouldn't have. And it changed the way I'm living my life going forward. And I think that people have that opportunity right now. Um, so, you know, if I can go from a drug addict with no hope, no direction in life to five and a half years in prison and changing my life in prison, you know, anybody that's listening to this or anybody right now can make a choice to change their lives for the better as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. I appreciate you, Sean, uh, taking some time to be here today and to share your story and, and to uh, help, help a few uh, people along the way uh, that might be listening that, that your, your story resonates with. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, Nate. I really appreciate it, man. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. When I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera, I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage it's never been better than this and we got three kids that's who i do it for i'm gonna be a leader